Excellent, episode number 72. The last episode may have been the first of the new season and school year, but this is the first episode that really feels like a complete episode of Quite Excellent. My students had a lot of very thoughtful things to say about Stephen Duong's poem, Good Dog, and I finally get to celebrate some analysis again. I can't wait to share it with you. Today's poem has got one heck of a title. Letter to the person who carved his initials into the oldest living longleaf pine in North America. And it's a poem by Matthew Olsman. I'm not entirely sure how I came upon it, but it can be found published by Tin House on their website back in May of 2019. I really enjoy the passion of this poem, the sense of frustration and exasperation and confusion, maybe. It has a lot of personality, which I think comes through because the speaker is directing their words towards a specific person in particular. I thought the poem would be a good next step because, like Good Dog, we have a situation here where a speaker has a profound love for something that may be hard for someone else to understand. I also chose the poem because I really wanted to hear my friend Wayne read it to us. An important part of Quite Excellent is the opportunity to hear from a variety of poetic voices, from different poets to different cultures to different periods of time to different places, and also actually different literal speaking voices. And Wayne's was exactly right for this poem. Wayne and his family are homesteaders in Central California. They live off the land and appreciate the land in ways that few people I know can say they do. He's also exactly the kind of person who would look at someone's disregard for nature with absolute incredulity. And maybe a little bit of anger. I'm jumping way ahead, though. Before we can explore our next poem, we must revisit the previous one that students explored. Good Dog. It is read by my daughter, Elena, this time. Stephen Duong, good dog, is what I say to my fish when I pair. A dog is anything small and good to me. She nips my finger, breaks no skin but the water. Today, I took my pills and felt little. Now I feel lots. I love this thing of mine. Her fins are good, and her tail is too. Good dog. So the first place to start, I think, is with a focus on the speaker and who they happen to be. One student said that this shows a fish to the eyes of a child because it uses short words. And another writes that the speaker intentionally gives off a very childlike manner by saying very childlike phrases. For instance, when the speaker says, I love this, it portrays a childlike attitude as it does not give details of what exactly they love. Many children do this as they often say they love something even though that particular something is not specified. Another writes, when they say, now I feel lots. Uh, This suggests childishness. They wrote that they said, I think this is another good representation of the point that there's a younger tone. But others didn't think this was a child. Others thought that maybe this was someone quite old. One wrote that the way stanzas two and four are broken up into she nips my finger and I love this thing of mine represents how many elderly people may show that they have some kind of decline in their speech patterns. Now this is referring to the way these stanzas are kind of broken sentences don't finish before moving on to the next. The same student also wrote that the speaker implies that they are an older person who is enjoying the simpler things in life. The way they speak sounds mature, especially when they say, she nips my finger, breaks no skin but the waters. Student writes that it reminds me of when I used to help run a care home and I talked to the old folks there. Most of the folks there talked a lot like the speaker does, especially at the end of their lives. Not everyone thought that this speaker was quite old, but maybe an adult at a minimum. One wrote, 
that while I disagree with the idea that the speaker is a child, I agree that they may be left out to turn to other sources of emotion and affection. The speaker feels isolated and alone, so their fish, their only source of affection, is described as small and good to me. Another writes that this may be an older person who rather wants to feel like a child again, and that is why they're using smaller, more childish words and phrases to kind of capture that childish desire. But age wasn't everything. Some students just thought that the language and the poem really captured a character more than it could pinpoint an age. One wrote that this is a person who has the feeling of regret and wistfulness, a person who wants to escape reality and feel young again. Another explored a similar line, saying that it gives quality of someone who is grateful, humble, and joyful, but has emotional and traumatic turbulence. And this leads into one of the more important aspects of the poem and students' responses, which have to do with mental health. One student writes, I agree with the speaker having some sort of mental illness, as shown in their broken and disorganized speech patterns. The title of the poem, Good Dog, is part of the poem itself and is cut off, where it continues in the first stanza as, is what I say to my fish when I pet her. Another student had a pretty lengthy and thoughtful exploration of mental illness and mental health, and I'm going to share a big chunk of that here. They write, when people take medication or pills, as this poem states, for these disorders, after feeling flat or numb for so long, they may feel lots of a new sensation. A symptom of schizophrenia is also disorganized thinking. The speaker presents disorganized thinking by first speaking about his fish, then jumping about how they took their pills today. I believe the quote breaks no skin ties into my perception of this poem being about schizophrenia. People who suffer from schizophrenia may have graphically violent hallucinations. The speaker may be hinting at suffering from these hallucinations by using the line, they're surprised they break no skin, alluding to past violent hallucinations where they may have hurt someone, but they do not break the water's surface. Another student wanted to clarify some of the language being used and noted that the speaker may be being someone with a mental illness is plausible, but I feel like it could be specified that the speaker might have a disability that makes it difficult for them to learn in a more typical way. And I think this is an important clarification. When we look at poems that maybe deal with mental illness or intellectual delays or disabilities, it's possible that we overdiagnose. None of us that I know of are professionals in this area. So to assign a specific diagnosis towards our speaker here may be a little bit premature, but we can still look at small ideas and I think there was a good one here, the suggestion of the break no skin, the possibility of being injured and injuring others suggest maybe that there is a history of harm or at the minimum, there's a concern about the potential for harm and the need for safety. It makes total sense to me and I like that connection. We don't need to diagnose our speaker to arrive there. Now, regardless of diagnosis or whether there is one, that doesn't mean that we can't still find comfort in ways to deal with their own emotional distress. A few students explored this. One wrote that sometimes being numbed by antidepressants can help with mental health, but eventually you're going to need to feel other emotions to feel alive and enjoy life. Sometimes joy can come when experiencing little things, like them being with their fish. Along this line, the student writes, even though this child has faced many hardships with their feelings, mental well-being, and life, their fish is always a good dog and is always there for them. Similarly, a student writes that the fish keeps them going and helps them keep moving in life. This fish means so much to this person and motivates the speaker to keep fighting whatever they're dealing with. This is a really intuitive reading to me. Even without any kind of mental health discussion, if you've never curled up with a pet or had a conversation with one when you just needed to feel better, whew, I'm not sure I know who you are. 
I think that's a nearly universal experience, at least for most of the people that I've known that have had pets, certainly. Some students thought that the support that the fish offers isn't just with the mental health issues themselves, but also maybe with the effects of the medication they take. One writes that, they say good dog to their fish when patting them and explains how, quote, a good dog is anything small and good to me. This shows that the fish brings them happiness that the pills can't. Another writes that his meds may be failing him, but his fish is helping with emotional support. Another points to that same breaks no skin, but the water is a quote, and notes that the fish probably doesn't do any harm to the person. But maybe the medication does. Finally, another student points to the line about now I feel lots and I love this thing. These two quotes relate to each other and the previous quotes by suggesting that the fish makes the pills seem less bad. Next, I want to talk about why this fish seems to matter. And a lot of students explored this topic. One writes that the speaker uses the relationship between humans and dogs to show how much he loves his fish. Along this lines, a student notes that the use of the term good dog was extremely creative. One of the many reasons it was a smart decision is that it displays how highly they view their fish, to the point they see it as one of the most highly valued types of pets that you can have. Another student makes a note about this comparison, saying that although dogs nip most fish, if you put your finger in, the tank will also nip you because they think your fish is food. And so this connection of behaviors makes sense. One writes that the perfect fin and tail part shows that the fish is beautiful beyond its connections to dogs or mental health. It's just a lovely thing to look at and appreciate. Another student points to the line about the fish breaking no skin but the waters and says that this can imply that the fish is gentle to him, which is part of the reason why he loves the fish. Another notes that the speaker uses the word small because that may be how they feel in the world. And this fish, and possibly writing as well, is the only thing they have that distracts them from that feeling. There's also a couple things I want to maybe point to and connect to like poetry norms and maybe, maybe mild corrections. A student writes, the speaker also states, today I took my pills and felt little, which to me gives the impression, again, that they feel small in this world, and writing this poem makes them feel young and full of life again. And I think this is a really interesting and thoughtful response. The idea that the pills make them feel small, or that they can feel small, and we can interpret the word small in a few different ways. But it's important to keep in mind that one of our focuses this week was on the distinction between a poet and a speaker. Poems are narratives, they are created stories, and they have characters. Sometimes the character is the poet, but maybe a version of the poet they're trying to present us to. Maybe not who they actually are when they're with their family or their friends. For this reason, we use the term the speaker, and it's important to make sure that although this poem has been written by someone, within the world of the poem, the narrative of the poem, the person speaking isn't the writer. Another one notes that he uses short but understandable words to make the reader more comfortable. And I think this is a cool point, the idea that these short words can effectively make an audience feel comfortable. But I use the word audience intentionally. We should keep in mind the speaker could be talking to anyone, even themselves. And if they are a young person, maybe those small words make themselves feel comfortable. Or they make other young people comfortable, should they be able to interact with those words. But, because we're not treating the poet like the speaker, we have to make sure we're not treating the audience specifically like the reader, if that makes sense. I'm really pleased with all the analysis I got. I love that students are talking not only about ideas and words and specific phrases, but also structure and where lines are broken up. Lovely stuff. Really impressed. Our next poem is Letter to the Person Who Carved His Initials into the Oldest Living Longleaf Pine in North America by Matthew Olsman. 
One thing I like about this poem is that the speaker doesn't actually know the person they're talking to, but the speaker seems to understand something about them based on the actions described in the title. The entire poem actually is a kind of act of imagining or of creation, an attempt to make sense of the person who would violate nature in the way the title describes. Sharp students listening to this episode after reading the poem for themselves may even have noticed that only the first sentence of the poem is even complete. Every other sentence that follows is a fragment. They kind of build on the subject of the first sentence, but they are still incomplete. It's a fascinating choice by the poet. I'd be impressed if any students wanted to explore why that might be. Something else that fascinates me is the type of poem this is. As the title makes clear, this is a letter. When stories or poems or songs or even films are told using letters, we have a special genre title that we can use. We call this genre epistolary, all included in the Google Classroom assignment. You're still allowed to list the genre, by the way, as just poem in your response. But if you really want to be fancy and academic, we could describe this most accurately as an epistolary poem. But I'm really curious why the poem is written in this form. What does it add to the ideas or feelings of the poem? It doesn't even seem possible to deliver this letter to anyone, so why would a person write it? Why write a poem about a letter that doesn't seem like it has a purpose? Now, on top of the structure and the form of the poem, there are so many other interesting words in this thing. There are references to creatures of myth and to ancient history and even spirituality. And those deep descriptions of things you can touch, hear, smell, feel, the poem, it's it's rich. I'm inclined to ask, why use these specific details? If you are too, choose a couple that most stand out to you and make an argument for what they achieved together. That has the making of a great response. There is a lot that can be done with this poem, and while my ideas may be helpful, most of my students are listening to this to find out exactly what they must do. And this means a secret passphrase in the writing task. And these are both pretty darn easy in this week. Because the speaker is directly talking to someone, which you can tell because they use the second person, you, at one point, we have to have a specific title to describe that audience, the person they're talking to. Just like we use the speaker to describe the character that's voicing the poem, we have a term to describe who they're talking to as well. We call them the listener. During your response, use the listener when you refer to the person this letter is addressed to. That's our secret passphrase. As for our writing task, I have a basic skill that is essential for basically all academic writing, not just when responding to poetry. All writing you'll do in high school will benefit from this basic rule. Heck, all writing you do in college will as well. For the writing task, after you've used the poet's name in the tag, I want you to only refer to Matthew Olsman by his last name, Olsman. Academic writers do this in part as a formal style of writing. You always use the full name of the author when you mention them the first time. But after that, you typically just rely on their last name. But never use just their first name. We use first names for people that we know well, that we have personal relationships with, or people who only have a first name that we use, such as characters in a short story or, or novel. But a quick note how to do this well. Because the voice of the poem is referred to as the speaker, we're only going to refer to the poet when talking about how the poem is written. So if you talk about the epistolary form, or you talk about the fragments used, or you refer to the use of onomatopoeia, or even the lack of rhyme, if it relates to how the poem is crafted, that's when you talk about the poet, and that is when you use the name Olsman by itself. Here is a letter to the person who carved his initials into the oldest living longleaf pine in America by Matthew Olsman, read by my friend, Wayne Walsh. 
murdered the person who carved his initials into the oldest living longleaf pine in North America. By Matthew Olsman. Tell me what it's like to live without curiosity, without awe, to sail on clear water, rolling your eyes at the kelp reef swaying beneath you, ignoring the flicker of mermaid scales in the mist, looking at the world and feeling only boredom, to stand on the precipice of some wild valley, the eagles circling, a herd of caribou booming below, and to yawn with indifference, to discover something primordial and holy, to have the smell of earth welcome you to everywhere, to take it all in, and then to reach for your knife. A paragraph responding to this prompt is due on the Friday that ends this week, and your two replies to other students are due on the Wednesday after. Students, be sure to use the word the listener when referring to the audience in the poem, as this is your secret passphrase. This refers to the person who's being spoken to in the poem. You can also use the term epistolary poem to describe the genre if you like, but only if you want to look all academic and fancy. For our writing task, use the author's last name by itself to describe a choice made by the poet. Be sure to still use the full name in the topic sentences tag. Don't forget to make use of our previous writing task as well. A strong analytical paragraph requires a quality claim, starting with a tag, a how, and a what, although you can mix those up however the way you like. If you enjoy this podcast, have questions, want to provide a reading, or would like the class to direct their eyes toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LightingTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LightingTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and the ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 72 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.